Uh, I want to talk today about uh, revelation. That went quiet. Um, because and, I reckon that in times like this, we need God to sh- kind of take back the veil and go, no, no, you need to see what's really happening. You know, you know, I don't want you freaking out with stuff. Let me pull back the veil and show you that God is on the throne, that Jesus is in charge, that nothing is out of control, that this is all playing out according to His purpose. You know, how many people need, to, I reckon, I mean, I need it today, just need God to pull back the veil a bit. And you go, oh, it's all okay. God's got this. We're all okay. We're going to get there because Jesus is on the throne. You know, it's been, uh, to be honest, a bit of a crazy year, eh? I don't know if you remember that. I mean, it's so much has happened. Just at the end of the year, we were all focused on bushfires in Australia. And the headline in New Zealand in January was about the haze in Auckland. Anyone remember that? Like that was that was the biggest deal going on, and then and then we're all everyone's concerned about Brexit and what this guy was doing. It was only 22nd of January that that they oh my God Europe's going to fall apart, Britain's going to fall apart. What's going to happen? And then these guys were causing trouble, and and these people were doing stuff. And it was only February when the Trump impeachment stuff. So it's like anyone remember any of that? Vaguely, like, and you know, and then there was the stuff in Hong Kong with riots and China bringing laws and stuff going on with North Korea. <laughs> like, that was just the first couple of months of this year. Uh, and, and then it was, it was actually, I looked, January the 1st, the first report that something strange was going on in this province in China that couldn't be explained. And, and then just a couple of months later that we all walked into this lockdown kind of period. And then since then, the, uh, the George Floyd uh, being killed, the Black Lives Matter, uh, the tearing down of statues, the rethinking of history. Like, it's been a pretty big year, eh? It's been pretty crazy. And, the, and then in the middle of that, it was the one-year anniversary of the first ma- big mass shooting uh, terrorist act in New Zealand with the mosque. And also, by the way, we had a volcano erupt. And like, like this is a crazy time. And some point, so I saw this, people were joking, like, now all we just need is the locust invasions, and then we're really in biblical times. And like, hello, <laughs> hundreds of billions. It's like, this is a crazy year. This is a crazy time. And 2020 can feel like the world is out of control. It can feel scary. It can feel confusing. It can feel like there's powerful forces erupting all around us. And, and, but I've got some good news for you this morning. I've got good news for you that Jesus is on the throne. I've got good news for you that He is working out His will and His purpose. I've got great news for you. And, and there was a particular type of writing that the Jews and the Christians came up for times such as this. And it's what I say. It's called apocalyptic. It literally means to pull back the veil. It's like when the world gets scary and confusing and the world feels like it's out of control, you just need God to come and pull back the veil and show you that He's on the throne, that Jesus reigns, that it's all in control, that it's all gonna work out all right in the end. You know, it came, the most famous one is the book of Revelation, this guy, the Apostle John. He's an old man. All of his friends have been killed, executed. All of the other apostles are dead killed for their faith. 
He's been tortured. Tradition says he was dipped in boiling oil. So he's an old man, scar tissue on his body from, uh, from torture. And he had, been, he had been looking after these seven churches in what we call Turkey. And, and there were people being killed in these churches and there was persecution coming. And he himself had been sent away in exile to this little island. And he's living in a cave on an island. An old man, get this, all his friends are killed. An old man torture marks on his body. His churches are being persecuted. He's living in a time where there's a totalitarian empire, the Roman Empire, and a crazy emperor who demands that you call him Lord and God. Talk about a world out of control. Talk about a world that would feel confusing and scary. And that's the context where Jesus comes to this man. He says, John, let me pull back the veil. Let me show you what's really happening. You might be sitting in a cave, scars on your body, all your friends are gone, your churches are, are, the people are being killed in your churches, there's a crazy emperor in place. John, let me pull back the veil. Let me show you I got this. Let me show you it's gonna be okay. Let me show you it's all gonna work out. And, and, and you know, one of the things I love about this book, there's this promise at the start, it says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it. That it's like a lot of people find this book scary and, and frightening. That shows that you're not reading it correctly because if you read it correctly, it promises you you're gonna be blessed by this book. You're gonna be blessed by the insights it gives. You're gonna be blessed by the revelation. When you pull back the veil, suddenly you're encouraged. Suddenly you're comforted. Suddenly you're inspired to move again, to keep going, to believe for more, to believe that we're going forward. And so today I want to prophesy this book back to you as the words of the prophet who says in a time of danger and a time of fear, let me pull back the veil and let me prophesy into your life the reality of what's really true today. And that you would go out of this time feeling inspired and blessed and encouraged that Jesus, come on, that Jesus, that Jesus that Jesus has got it, that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus is working it all out, that Jesus is in control. And and so I just wanna share five things where you need to, where I reckon we need the veil pulled back to see what's really going on. We need the veil pulled back to, we need a bigger Jesus. Times like this, you need the veil pulled back to see what Jesus is really like. But you need the veil pulled back to see what God, what Jesus is doing in his church. Actually, all of these are about Jesus. Who he is in himself, what he's doing in the church, how he's currently on the throne in heaven, but how he's in charge of rolling out history. And finally, how he's gonna wrap this whole thing up in total victory. And you need, and this morning I pray you're gonna be blessed as we pull back the veil and we kinda let you see Jesus. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit, as I speak this, it will be prophesying into your spirit that you get a revelation of Jesus. Because the one thing that you need today, you need a fresh revelation of Jesus. So let me, let me start with this. So Jesus, you know, in this, in this um, starts the book that he's in the spirit on the Lord's day and he hears the sound and he turns around and he says, I saw someone like the son of, son of man. Like I saw a human kind of figure. And it's Jesus. And it's like the first thing, John, when your world's out of control, come on, you need to see Jesus. Like he's gonna talk about a whole lot of other things, but the first thing, 
I need to see Jesus. I want to prophesy that you've got to see Jesus. Because you need to see Jesus today. You need, Je- you need a bigger Jesus. You need a Jesus who's in control of things. You know, and even though it's um, just to, he, there's a whole description of what he's like, but just to jump ahead, it says like this, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, or another translation, shining like the noonday sun. Think about that. He's like, have you tried looking at the sun on a summer's day at its height? You can't do it. The intensity of the, and the brilliance will burn out your physical capacity to engage with it. You cannot look on Jesus. It's like trying to look at the sun. Your physical capacity will undo itself, will unravel itself in light of a full revelation of Jesus. You need to get something of that Jesus today. Before anything else, you need to see that Jesus. And and it unpacks a whole lot of things. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. It's like listening to him is like standing next to a waterfall. It's like so booming and overwhelming and all powerful. Maybe you know the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Maybe you know Jesus, the friend of sinners. Today, you need a revelation of the Jesus of glory the Jesus that you couldn't look at, the Jesus that you would be undone if you had an encounter with Him. You know, it talks about His eyes were like blazing fire and His feet were like bronze. It speaks of power and, and energy and life. And, and here's the deal, and this is where, like, they use symbols which Westerners don't know, really know how to read, but coming out of His mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. That just sounds weird. It means His words not just a power of noise, but have authority. When He speaks, stuff happens. When He speaks, stuff shifts. When He speaks, stuff moves. That Jesus. John, you need to see this Jesus. And, and, and then it says this, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. This is the John that as a young man reclined on Jesus' chest. This was the John that was closer than anyone else. This is the John, part of the type three that were with Jesus. This is the man who had walked with Jesus and knew Jesus more than anyone else. This is the man who then had served Jesus faithfully for 50 or 60 years. This is the man who had revelations about Jesus that no one else had even conceived of. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was gone. You know, we beheld His glory. Like, this is the man who knew Him as a teenager, who served Him for 50 or 60 years, who had the most profound theological understanding of Jesus. But when he encountered Jesus, he was undone. He fell at his feet as though dead because he had a fresh revelation of Jesus and he couldn't handle it. And he was broken by it because it was so powerful. I, I announce to you, your most pressing need in a time like this is a glimpse of Jesus to be undone by a revelation of Jesus in all His glory, in all His power, in all His authority. You know, it goes on and Jesus then lifts him up and says, you know, don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. These are all profound words for God from the Old Testament. I am the living one. You know, this is about the historical Jesus. I was dead and now look, I'm alive. But I hold the keys. He's like, every, this, he, here's the deal. John knew it, but he encountered Jesus as fully God. I just met God. I had an encounter. 
with God. And, and there's, this, there's this phrase in there that sounded a bit weird. Oh, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And, it, and it's an image of, of, of age, of depth, of significance. He's been around a long time. He's been doing this a long time. And, and I just feel like today, for some reason, you need an encounter with the God of time. The God is bigger than your current situation. The God who has been doing this for a long time through the rise and fall of nations and empires, through challenges and stuff, you know, I'm gonna say it, this is not Jesus' first rodeo. He'd been doing this a long time. You know, people say, oh yeah, it's a one in 100 year issue. Yeah, well, he's been leading the church for 2,000 years. That means he's done 20 one in 100 year crises. It's nothing new to him. Come on, you need a bigger Jesus. He's not throwing because he's God and he's the ancient of days and he's the God over time. He's the God over time. And things come and go and he remains because he's been there forever. This is actually a quote from Daniel 7. Daniel's the other apocalyptic book in the Bible. And, and Daniel has this vision of this person called the Ancient of Days. And it's a phrase that's used three times in Daniel 7. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible. But in moments like these, you need a revelation of God who is the God over time, the Ancient One, the person who has been doing this for a very long time. He's not thrown by something. This is not his first gig. This is not his first challenge. He is the ancient of days. He's been leading the church for 2,000 years. He's been stewarding the people of God for like 4,000 years. Could you let God blow your mind a bit? He'd been doing this a long time. And in Daniel 7, the ancient of days is a picture of God. And then the one like the Son of Man is brought into the presence. But by the time of Revelation, it's like, no, no, the Son of Man is the Ancient of Days. Jesus is the one. Man, I pray, I prophesy that you would get a revelation of this Jesus today. The Ancient of Days. The one who's been around. You know, in the context in Daniel 7, again, I love that, like, this is so far outside our thinking. We're just trying to get through this day or this week or this month or make the budget work or whatever. And, and it's like God speaks to Daniel and he, and he sees this vision of four beasts coming out of the sea. And I'm like, well, what an odd picture. He's like, Daniel, let me just show you how the next 500 years are going to play out. These funny looking, these are not just representative of people. They're not even leaders or stuff. These are civilizations. God stands in this perspective and go, Daniel, in the next 500 years, four different civilizations are gonna come and go. Like, can you get the scale of that? God thinks in terms of thousand years. God thinks in terms of civil, yeah, it's not just, oh, well, this thing happened last week. No, whole civilizations will come and go and it won't affect my purpose because I'm the ancient of days and my purpose stands and I've seen it all and I'm moving forward and I don't care what's happening around because I am God, Jesus says. You know, and just a bit of an example of this in our context, you know, the 20th century, January 1st, 1901, this group of Bible college students were studying what should be the sign that someone's filled with the Spirit. And they came through and they they're like, well, according to Acts, you should speak in tongues. Well, no one had, so they prayed. January the 1st, 1901, this woman, Agnes Osman, spoke in tongues for the first time. God birthed something on the very first day of the 20th century. And, 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 um, and then 
over the other side of the world in, in Wales a couple of years later, the same thing burst out amongst a group of Welsh miners. And then a couple of years later, this uh, black guy, William Seymour, one-eyed black guy, he, that, that college was so racist, he had to sit outside and listen through the window. But he's the one that God anointed. He's the one that God called. And he traveled to Los Angeles and a revival was birthed in Los Angeles. And, and they said this about it, the color line was washed away in the blood because if you wanted the Holy Spirit as a white person, middle class, you had to humble yourself and go and let a one-eyed, uneducated black man lay hands on you and be filled with the Spirit. And God was doing this extraordinary thing. God decided in His sovereignty that He was gonna birth a move of God for the 20th century. Well, how did that go? Well, just a few years later, the First World War, something like 20, 26 million people killed, followed by the Spanish flu that we've all heard about the last time, this kind of thing. Between 17 and 50 million people killed, followed by the communist revolution in Russia, followed by Stalin, three million deaths, followed by the Great Depression in the 20s and 30s, followed by the Second World War, followed by the Chinese Communist Revolution. But Jesus had decided He was gonna birth a move. And He'd said 2,000 years ago, the gates of hell will not prevail. When He said, He's not talking about fixing your car this week, He's talking about civilizations that will rise and fall and won't challenge His purpose because he said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I don't care what comes against it because I am the ancient of days. I am the living God. I am the true God. And when I say it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And I'm not even gonna play out the next 50 years with the resurgence of Islam and Hinduism and nationalism and secularism and postmodernism and all that kind of stuff. But do you know what? And the 2002 statistics say the global Pentecostal and charismatic movement was 523 million people, 8% of the world's population. The start of the 20th century in church history, that's what historians say will be called the Pentecostal century. Because on January the 1st, 1901, God said, we're doing it. And I don't care if you throw pandemics, world wars, communist uprisings, anything. By the end of the century, a movement had touched over 500 million people. It's become the third major movement in Christianity alongside Catholics and Protestants. And one in 12 people in the world was touched by it. Do you think that Jesus is threatened by the fact that you had to spend six weeks watching Netflix? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Sorry, I could have put some more Netflix programs on. It's like, I'm in control of history. I decide what's happening. You need this Jesus. You need to pull back the veil and encounter this Jesus because He's got you through the ride. When the ride gets tough, He is God. He is the living God. There is nothing that can stop Him, nothing that can oppose Him. Man, I pray today. I prophesy today that first and foremost, God would pull back the veil and you would meet Jesus, this Jesus, the ancient of days.
but then but then it moves on because it's like well what's he doing then what if he if he's that what's important to him and you know and and revelation one talks about he saw this guy and he's amongst seven golden lampstands and and they represent seven churches and the description of jesus he's dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest it's the only time that word uh, long robe is used in the new testament it's used in the greek old testament for the high priest robe. jesus is dressed as a high priest and the context is in the tabernacle in the temple, they had this lampstand which had seven oil lamps at the top. So the priest was like, My, here's, the, here's the deal. I got one job. Keep the light of God burning in the earth. Trim the wicks, pour in the oil, tend the light of God. But when John saw a revelation of the priest, there's no longer one lampstand, there's multiple of them in, in all kinds of towns and cities. Every time there's a place of the gathering of God's people, that's the presence of the light of God in the earth. And Jesus right now, here's the deal. Jesus right now, yeah, Brexit and Boris Johnson and Trump and, and China and Hong Kong. and Jesus is like the most important thing is that the light of God continues to burn in your youth group and your church and your ministry and in this town and this city because civilized challenges will come and go and nations will rise and fall and even civilization. But the most important thing is that the light of God continues to burn in the earth that people would know the presence of God. People would know to where to go to to find the light of God. Come on, you are doing leaders. You are doing something significant when you are cooperating with Jesus to tend the light of God's church in the earth because it matters to Jesus. Jesus. Come on, you need the veil pulled back. You need to understand that this is important to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, because what's He doing? He's a high priest looking after His churches because nothing else matters. You know, I, I, I hadn't really noticed this verse before until I was preparing this. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus knew there was a whole period of time when He wasn't going to be here. And He's got one job, keep the light burning and you're the light, and your church is the light. Come on, there's a just let them pull back the veil. There's a significance to what you're doing. There's a significance to it. There's a significance to us being here because the light of Jesus is burning. Can you get a revelation of it? Can you understand the significance of what you're doing? You know, a famous passage in Ephesians, you understand now why they would have said this. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. What is Jesus, the King of Kings, doing today? He's looking after His church. He's, he knows that nations will rise and fall. He knows stuff will change. But the church must endure. The light of God must continue to burn in the land so people know where to go to. Come on, you need a rise and kind of go. Come on, the Jesus is triumphing in His church today. Can you feel the weight of what you're doing, what you're involved in? This is the most, this is, John's like in this cave and an island. His churches are being persecuted. He's like, John, your churches matter to me more than anything else because they're the light of Christ in the world. 
And so again, this idea that he would spend the next two chapters going through seven churches and talking about what needs to be adjusted, what needs to be fixed. He's not like, let's sort out the Roman Empire. Let's do, no, let's tweak these churches. Let's trim the wick. Let's pour more oil. Come on, we've got to make sure these churches are burning bright. Come on, the most important thing we could do right now is we could burn bright with the light of Christ. We could choose to come together and say, we are the body of Christ. We could choose to prioritize what is a priority to Jesus, His church, His people. You're right, it's a bit quiet. So you need to let him pull back the veil. First thing you need to do, you need to see Jesus as the king of the God of all time. Then you need to let him pull back the veil and show him that this church really matters to him. But then the third thing that happens, you need to to let him pull back the veil when things feel confusing, when things feel out of control, we feel these powerful forces swelling. You need to to let him pull back the veil and give you a revelation of heaven. And uh, I normally do a session for Pastor Wayne and Libby for their master sessions about 60 or 90 minutes on worship in heaven. I'm gonna give you the four minute version from Revelation four and five. Because it's like, okay, John, you've seen me. Just about wrecked you, but I had to show you. You've seen me looking after your church. Now come up here and let me show you heaven. Because you need to understand there's another dimension to your world that's not touched by this stuff. You need to understand there's more going on than you realize. You need to understand that the battles you see down here don't touch another certainty, another dimension where nothing moves, where nothing is rocked. And so it's like, come up here and there before me, the first thing, there's a throne in heaven. I got some news for you today. I prophesy to you today. I reveal to you today. I pull back the veil. There's a throne in heaven and someone is sitting on the throne and he ain't being rocked by Brexit and he ain't being rocked by a pandemic and he ain't being rocked by America's issues or Hong Kong. He is sitting on the throne. You need someone to pull back the veil and go, there is a throne in heaven and God is sitting on the throne and nothing challenges that. Yeah, there's some battles going on down here, but Jesus is God and Jesus is on the throne of eternity. You know, and and it just, there's a whole car of sound and light show going up there. I'm not going to go into it, but like he had this appearance of Jasper and Ruby. I know I feel like sometimes we think of heaven a bit like a dental clinic. It's all clean and no insult to dentists, but it's like, you know, clean but sterile. No, no, it's colorful. It's full of sound and light. This is a guy in a cave on an island who gets an encounter with the most amazing sound and light show ever. Ready? So he sees this. Then it talks about there's a rainbow surrounding the throne. And he says it's like an emerald. I don't know how you have a rainbow that looks like an emerald, but he saw it. And then, and then from there, there's flashes of lightning and thunder. So you got it. There's a throne, multicolored. There's a rainbow. Out from it, there's lightning flashing and thunder booming. And, 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 and then in the front of it, seven lamps were blazing. Picture them like, you know, those fire things they have when someone scores a try. It's like... So you got the throne and you got rainbow and you got lightning and thunder and you got fire blazing. And, and in front of them, they look like a sea of glass. And what commentators said, it's like it just reflects everything double. It's like this is an overwhelming sensory experience of the color, the energy, the power, the life of heaven. And then, and then surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Who knew heaven is a busy place? Who, there's, there's a whole stuff going on up there. There's a whole... There's, oh, I don't know who they are. 
but they are there. It's like there's a whole other world out there. And then, and then in the center around, so you've got, the, you've got the throne, you've got the lightning, you've got the fire, you've got these elders. Uh, but then in the middle, you've got these four incredible, powerful creatures who are just every, all the time, holy, holy, holy. They're just naming the reality of the person on the throne. It's going 24-7 for all eternity. And it's like, oh my goodness. And then, and then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon 10,000, 10,000 times 10,000. Basically the biggest word in Greek for a number times itself. It's like, it's like a gazillion time a gazillion angels. If it's literal, it's a hundred million angels. Um, one angel is enough to make someone collapse, be totally undone with their power and their glory. You imagine a mass choir surrounding this place of a hundred million angels worshiping Jesus. That is going on right now in heaven. This is a man, an old man, an injured old man in a cave on an island with his church under a threat. And Jesus said, John, let me pull back the veil. Let me give you a glimpse of heaven. Let me give you a glimpse of glory. I am on the throne and worship is happening. And my throne is not under threat. And then just I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, singing. And there's a sense like already all of eternity resonates with worship. But in our fallen state, we're the ones who are blind to it. And it's like, John, let me show you. Jesus is on the throne being worshiped for all eternity. The battle's down here. There's no battle up there. We worship Him. Jesus, we magnify You. Jesus, we lift up Your name. Jesus, we prophesy to people that the veil would be pulled back and they would get a glimpse that You're on the throne. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God over time, the one who reigns, the high priest who tends Your church. Jesus, we worship You. Jesus, we magnify You. Jesus, we're undone in Your presence. It's a bit like a conference, kind of the closest thing. Let's see, or, or like a, one of the big, let's see, Hillsong Conference, or like, or like an, an Olympic opening. It's like, why do, we love, why do we love this kind of environment? Because it's a taste of heaven. It's not just the energy here. It's like you, you're resonating with what heaven's like. Old guy, cave, persecuted, tortured, scar tissue. Suddenly, the veil pulled back. I'm in the middle of the worship of 100 million angels, 24 elders, four living creatures around a magnificent throne with fire and light and rushing. It's like, Jesus, Jesus, I didn't, Jesus, I didn't realize this is what we're doing. Jesus, I thought we were just doing a youth hub. Jesus, I didn't, Jesus, you're here. Jesus, Jesus. Come on, could you get a revelation of Jesus this morning? You know, and, and, and it's like, yeah, so Jesus, the God of all time, the ancient of days, fully God, Jesus tending his church, Jesus reigning in heaven. What about all the stuff down here? And John, there's an incredible drama in Revelation chapter 5 that he hears someone say, um, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? That's the sense of these wax seals on a scroll. It's like, who's got the authority to unroll history? Is any, it's like, is anyone in charge of this thing? Because I'm telling you right, it's just feeling a bit out of control. Is anyone actually got this thing? 
because I'm a bit scared with Brexit and Trump and Hong Kong and the pandemic and I'm, it feels a bit scary. Is anyone in control? And they said, you know, no one on heaven on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. And so John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy. He's, he's a bit like, is it true actually what I'm feeling that no one can do this? No one's in control. And then he hears a voice that says this, one of those elders, don't weep, John. Behold, here he comes, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, King David, the royal king. Come on, get a vision of him, John, because he's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's under it. He's doing this. He is actually in control of history. You're Jesus. He's not just your best friend. He's unfolding history in our midst. He's working this thing out over not just years, not just decades, hundreds of years, thousands of years, because he's the great I am. He's the ancient of days. He's fully God. He's the Lord of history. And he wants you to know today, I got this. I got this. I got this. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to live with uncertainty. Jesus has got this. And, and, and um, you know, so they went and he got the scroll and, and then they started worshiping them and like, yeah, Jesus, you are worthy to do this. Yeah, because why? Because you're the one writing history and it's not actually about America or China or Hong Kong or Brexit. What the history is about, you're worthy. Why? Because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. The real story of history is not the rise and fall of kings and leaders and empires and civilizations. The the real story of history is that there was one person who gave his life to bring salvation to our earth. And there is a movement that's spreading all around the earth that's gathering people in from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's the, that's the main history that he's unfolding. And yeah, he manages everything else, but don't be scared by it because nothing threatens that history. He is the Lord of history. He is the King of glory. He is the great I am. He is the God of time. He is your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your master. He's your friend. But you need a revelation that He's the Lord of history. You know, the, the middle of the book is quite complex. There's all these sets of seven things and, and people try and figure out how they all fit together. And some people are like, oh yeah, I know. I got it. It works like that. It's like, probably if it's that complicated, we're not actually supposed to understand how it all fits together. Pastor Sam said, we're designed to live with a level of mystery. There's enough in there to, to give some assurance about reading partial patterns of what's happening. There's not enough to figure all that out because I trust Jesus. I don't trust my understanding of how it's working. I trust the King of Kings is on the throne and He's unfolding history. And I just need enough to make sense of some stuff that's happening around me. And part of the stuff that often scares us is because we read it, terrible symbols. It's political satire. It's poking fun. It's like, you know, North Korea, great leader. No, you're an evil, vicious, nasty man. Putin, oh yeah, we'll just get a thing through that I'll be president forever. No, you're a corrupt man. When they use symbols of dragons and stuff, it's like, I name who you really are. I see what you're really are. Don't give me this rubbish that you're a man of peace or a man of justice. I expose your hypocrisy and I name you for what you are. You want an example of this? They had a goddess, Roma. She's beautiful. She's this beautiful woman. They believed in Pax Romana. We bring peace. John says, rubbish. You're a whore of Babylon. 
You sit there drinking the blood of martyrs. I expose you for who you are. And so there's these, you know, it's like, oh. So you don't be scared when you're reading that stuff. It's naming the reality that they're already living in. You know, and, and you know, there's just one, I wanna give you two examples. The seven seals, um, you know, they, they unfold them and there's this sequence of these four horses, white and red and black and pale, and, and they're called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And people are like, oh, and people kind of think, oh, because Jesus talks about coming in a white horse later, that must be him. No, no, well, this is one interpretation, okay? Here's this. No, there's always these people who charge and I'm the great savior on the great white horse. But all that happens is another horse follows them of blood and another horse follows them of famine, and another horse follows them of death. And it says, I name you who claim to be our Savior. I name you who claim to bring hope. There is only one person who brings hope, and his name is Jesus. And I expose your lie, and I expose your hypocrisy. I name you for what you are. You are not the Messiah. You are not the hope of this world. And it's like this is the whole way John approached this in his own letter. There, there's, it's like these are patterns that reoccur. There, you know, the word antichrist doesn't mean, and literally in Greek, it doesn't mean against. It means in the place of. Oh yeah, I'm your savior. I'll fix you. Communism. I'll fix Russia. Mao Zedong. I'll fix China. No, we name you. You're a false messiah. You've just brought blood, famine, and death. And it's like. We need to, this is not supposed to scare you, this is supposed to empower you to name your reality and expose the lies and the hypocrisy of the enemy. You know, Jesus talked about, watch out, many will come saying, I am He, yeah, I'm the Messiah, I got the answer, I can fix this place. Part of Christianity has this quite cynical realism. No, no, you're just a corrupt system that's gonna destroy people. I don't put my hope in you. Better keep going. There's a whole thing in the middle of the book, signs. People misunderstand these. You know, sign, you know what signs are? Like, if signs point to things. If you see a sign that says toilet, you don't go and pee under the sign. Okay, so you don't, don't take, they point to something. That points to like, be careful of cows falling on your car. You know, be careful of running into a moose. Be careful of getting your bike stuck in the railway tracks. Here's a good one. Oh no, there, yeah. watch out for people carrying kayaks on their head. Must be a Canadian thing. This is a good one. Don't let Nana's wheelchair go. The crocodiles will eat it. I don't know if anyone's seen this one. No spitting. We know how to read signs. Signs are not literal. They help us interpret what's coming. They warn of threats. They guide action. They help prepare by representing in a simple way. The middle of the book is like, Jesus like, I'm not gonna give you the whole script so you rely on your understanding. I'm gonna give you partial pictures that you can recognize trends and I'm gonna give you some signs to watch out for. Here's a sign. There's something beautiful and holy in your world, like a beautiful woman. But there's this dragon that's destructive and evil. This is not, oh, don't be scared, it might happen. No, it's already happening. There are forces that we name. You call yourself a place of peace, but no, you're a dragon. And we need to learn to recognize we navigate a world where something beautiful is being nurtured in this place. But there are forces around that are out to destroy it and we name those things. You know, that, that there's this dragon that sought to destroy the thing that's beautiful in our world. And Revelation talks about this, the sign of this woman, but then a sign of a dragon. It talks about 
this battle and how this dragon was thrown out of heaven and has fallen to the earth. This is all signs that help us interpret our world. And now because he's lost his place in heaven, he's raging around just trying to destroy anything beautiful and good in our world. That sign point to anything you've experienced? That's all you need to know about this. It's a story that's gone from Genesis 3 about this battle between the woman and the serpent, the dragon. And Luke talks, Jesus said, I've seen him falling. But we need to understand then when as he falls down the bottom, he's filled with fury because he knows. Right now there's a dragon raging around our world because he knows he's losing, because he knows his time is short, because he knows he can't touch heaven. So he's trying to touch the beautiful thing that Jesus birthed down here. He's trying to harm you. He's trying to harm people because he knows that he's been thrown out of heaven and he knows his time is short. And because he knows where the story ends, that he's going to be thrown into the abyss. And at the end, verse 10, that he's thrown into the lake of burning salt. You see, the devil would like us to believe that there's two domains out there. There's heaven where God rules and there's hell where the devil rules. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There is God on the throne and there is a place prepared for the punishment of the devil. He's going to be tormented for eternity. He doesn't rule in hell. He suffers there. He knows he's going there to be tormented forever. It's designed for him. If anyone wants to join him, that's their choice. But hell is for the torment and punishment of the devil for eternity. And he knows his time is short. He knows his time is up because Jesus is on the throne. And in the context of this, this is what John said, and I saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. Here's the beautiful thing God's doing in our earth. Here's the beautiful woman, the church of Christ, growing and spreading and maturing and gathering and I want to love that thing I want to protect her I want to nurture her I want to see her shine in all her glory I'm going to oppose that evil thing that wants to come against people that wants to attack young people with thoughts of self-harm or suicide or rob people with uh, issues with mental health and depression. I stand against you. I oppose you in the name of the God who reigns on high, the King of kings and the Lord of... We are in a battle. You are not battling with Him, but I am battling you because I oppose you because I believe Jesus is doing something in our midst. I just need to quickly finish. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, holy God true God, ancient of days, Jesus looking after his church, Jesus reigning in heaven, worshiped by a hundred million angels, Jesus rolling out history, yeah, there's evil, yeah, there's stuff, but he's still moving his purpose forward, Trump can't stop it, Brexit can't stop it, pandemic can't stop it, China can't stop it, North Korea can't stop it. But finally, Revelation finishes with a picture of what Jesus does at the end. And when I teach Revelation, I always start with the last three chapters because I often say people, the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. You got lost in the detail and you've lost the big picture. Here's the big picture. Jesus wins. Jesus returns in power. The king establishes his will and evil is banished and he reigns on high. And, 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 And just real quickly, four things happen in those last few chapters. Jesus returns in power. The evil is destroyed. People are resurrected to life and all things are made new and there is no longer a battle because His will reigns on the earth. And let me just quickly say, He returns. That's when I saw a great white horse. Here's the true Messiah and His name was written on it and His name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I got news for you today. If you're feeling scared and tired and confused, 
Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is on the throne and he's coming in power and and he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. And to an old man sitting in a cave on an island, John, let me show you, I'm coming again in power real quickly. And the evil is destroyed. As we said, the devil is, it's not even, just an angel grabs the dragon and throws him down. And there he's tormented day and night forever. Not just the devil, but the, the systems of the world are thrown down. And, then for, and thirdly, there's a resurrection of the dead that I'm sick of going to funerals and burying people that I love and my hope is one day it's not just that they're at peace with God now one day they're going to come out of there because Jesus is going to destroy this last enemy of death and he hasn't won his victory till he's got everything back that he created and there's this vision devil you're not going to get you're not going to get anything I'm taking it all back and then finally making everything new I saw a new heaven and a new earth it's all good it's all going to be lovely again it's going to work. It's all going to be lovely and fresh and new again. And, and, and this beautiful thing's going to come out of heaven and be with us. And, and gonna, now God's here. We don't have to search for him. We're not gonna, he's just here with us. And, and, uh, and all the tears are wiped away in Revelation 21. Behold, I'm making everything new. Could you let Jesus pull back the veil? One day it's it's all going to be fresh and new again. Could you believe that? And it it actually finishes Revelation 22 about us. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And this. Yeah, Jesus reigns, but here's how the Bible finishes. And in this wonderful, beautiful new place, you are going to reign with him forever. And I invite you to stand. Can I invite you to, however you engage with God, open your, close your eyes, raise your hands. I prophesy, Jesus. I prophesy, Jesus. I speak to the nations that they're going to bow before His authority. I prophesy that churches are going to increase. They're going to scale up because Jesus, because of Jesus. I prophesy there's going to be favor because of Jesus. I announce that the kingdom is coming. The church of Jesus Christ is coming because of Jesus. That's why they wrote these books for times such as this, when you just need the veil pulled back. Come on, how about we lift up Jesus? And I pray that the veil gets pulled back as you worship Jesus.